Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. Hey, it is Bob Cooney, but you know that. I am coming to you live from the Westin in Lombard, Illinois, outside of Chicago at the AAMA annual meeting and gala celebration. And it's, uh, it's something a lot of people don't know about. It's kind of an insider's conference. It's a small, maybe 80 or 100 people get together every year. The AAMA is the association that, whose membership is made up of amusement manufacturers and distributors and some FEC owners also. But primarily, it's always been kind of like the manufacturing distribution arm of the amusement industry. And this is where they get together and they have all their committee meetings and they do a showcase. And so the manufacturers bring in the new product that they're going to be bringing to market later this year, predominantly at IAPA. And they give distribution kind of a view of the product before it hits the market so the distribution can get behind it and they get the salespeople talking to customers about it and build demand. And so it's part of the industry that a lot, unless you're an insider, you just don't know that this A, exists um, or B, that's how it works. And so, you know, over the last couple of years, we had a couple of VR companies here last year. I think Minority Media was really the first company to come to this. And and they, most of you probably have seen the news where Betson picked them up and announced that at Bowl Expo this July. And that was you know, the culmination of nine months of work that started here at the gala last summer. And then this year, we've got a bunch of companies here, and next year, there'll be even more. And the FEC committee this year at their meeting yesterday created, authorized a VR subcommittee. And so that's happening. And we're going to be looking. So if you're interested in, A, joining the association, being on the committee, helping drive the agenda for the amusement industry regarding VR... Let me know. Drop me an email at vrbob at bobcooney.com and I can introduce you to the, the powers that be. And who knows, maybe you can uh, become a voice for VR in the amusement industry. And so it's a big opportunity. And, and I, think, uh, I think you're crazy if you're really thinking about selling into like family entertainment centers, especially. This is um, an event you should come to next year and it's an association you should be involved in. So anyway, yeah, and that's why I'm here. And I might try to grab some people as they come by and get them on camera and, and say hi. But I think what I'm going to spend time doing is I did a presentation. I did a keynote yesterday at Enchanted Castle as part of. So the AAMA also has this thing called FEC Connect, which, you know, they're trying to get more and more family entertainment centers to join the AAMA instead of or in addition to IAPA, because IAPA, which is the association of the amusement park, and Attractions Association is massive and there's thousands of members and it's a giant trade show. And FEC is kind of, the thinking is that IAPA kind of caters more to theme parks and water parks and big attractions and FEC is kind of get lost in the noise. And so the AAMA is trying to become the association for family entertainment centers. And so they have this thing called FEC Connect. I think this is the third or fourth one. They go around the country every few months and have one. They have it at an FEC. They bring in speakers. They have sponsors. And they're trying to use that to educate and inform. And so they decided to do FEC Connect here in Chicago associated with the, the summer, the annual meeting. And so it was at Enchanted Castle, which is a place I have a long history with it was one of the very first family entertainment centers. They built it in the mid '80s. It started as a restaurant, like David Buster's, and a lot of these. It started as a restaurant with an arcade, and they kept expanding the arcade, expanding the arcade, expanding the arcade. And next thing you know, it's forty thousand square foot with go karts and laser tag and bumper cars and all of this other stuff. And and so 
yeah, it was one of the first QSAR locations back in the laser tag days. And Harold Skripsky was one of the founders, and he wound up on my board of directors at LaserStorm, and we developed a long relationship, which I won't get into. But I do want to share the presentation that I gave with you yesterday to the membership because I got a great response from it, like, and people haven't stopped talking about it frankly since. It and so I thought it might be interesting, and so I thought I'd. And, and there's some new thinking in it as well. Um, if you follow my blog, you'll recognize some of this, but I thought I would uh, I would jump into it. And, and again, if you guys have any questions at all, just go ahead and post them in the chat and we'll address them. And, and if I see somebody that I can wrangle into the conversation, I might pause and, and grab them and get them on camera and then we'll, uh, we'll come back to the agenda. But I'm just going to launch into it. And uh, so basically, this was about how to select the perfect VR attraction. And I think there's a couple of things. If you're a solution provider, you know, you can watch this with a critical eye for like, how do you speak to operators? How might you speak to operators? How are operators going to be evaluating your product amongst all the other product in the marketplace? Cause it's getting freaking crowded. And you think it was crowded last year, wait till next year. Like I've like, I keep hearing about new companies more and more and more that are developing VR. It's definitely hit a tipping point. Major manufacturers who've been in the industry for a long time that are top quality are now doing VR research, they're bringing VR products to market. And so there's definitely going to be a tipping point. You know, I think it's already happened. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I feel it happening. And so if you're going to be selling into this market, you really need to start thinking about how operators think. If you're And if you're buying, this hopefully will give you a bit of a way to evaluate the confusion and the mass number of systems that are out there and how do you tell one from another. So hopefully this, um, and you guys already know this, there might be some language I went through some background, you know, Inc. 500, Laser Storm, one of the first laser tag companies, trying to help people go from confused to capable to confident. I'm going to speed through some of this. This is where I think it gets interesting. So I asked them, um, one of the questions I, I think we need to ponder as an industry, and this is location-based entertainment industry, is who's our competition? And I would ask you if you could take like one competitor in the market that you think about all the time, whether you're an operator or you're a solution provider, that you'd love to just take out of the market, who would that be? And my guess is you already have somebody in mind, but it's not, it's, it's just worth kind of pondering. It's like, who's your competition? Who do you really compete with? Who are you focused on? Who do you feel like you're running up against in the market all the time? And if the answer to that is anything but Fortnite, you're probably thinking the wrong way. Vladimir, how's it going? Come on in, say hi. Hey, hello everyone. <laughs> We're in Chicago. So this is uh, Vladimir from Box Blaster. They are doing, guys? one of the new entrants into the VR scene here. And uh, this is your first AMA event. Yeah, you're on live. First, my, you know, first camera. First camera. Right, <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so, you know, you guys are making some noise. I'm hearing some stuff about you. What's, right. uh, give us the quick elevator pitch. Like what makes you different? Because we're talking about competition. All right. So the core of the dif difference in uh, in our product is a business model. Yep. So we have a uh, the first product that we've launched. And you look called, like a businessman. You're wearing a tie. Is that part of? Is that part of your part of the image? Part of the image. Part of our yes. Okay. The, the brand identity that we have. So we have a four player system. It's a VR arena, 225 square feet, and we're selling it at cost, basically forty five thousand dollars. And then we partner with the operator on the revenue share. So we get 25%. And we do for that new games every year. Like we bring new games to the platform and yep. no additional cost. And then we upgrade the hardware, literally just remove old piece of headsets and uh, graphic cards and just into every two years. Yeah. So hardware and, upgrades are critical. And that's right. the thing that 
you know, and, and we talked about this at Bull Expo, Absolutely. right? Where what I love about this model is that when you have a distributed network, and we learned this at Ecast when we were doing digital jukeboxes, we had 10,000 jukeboxes on right. essentially the same hardware platform. And so what happens is when you're developing software for hardware, you can only develop for the least common denominator of the hardware on the platform. Right. Right. And so if you've got hundreds of VR units out there, right. and we'll use Hologate for as an example, they have yeah. 160, 170, 180 right. units, and they want to develop a new game in a year or two, right. they have to make a hard decision. Right. They either need to force people to upgrade, which is impossible to do. You can't force them to do anything. No. Or you have to develop for the old hardware, right? Right. Which means your shit isn't going to be standards. Yeah. All our partners every two years will literally have new sets of games that is developed for a new hardware. How are you going to get the hardware in the market? How do you get them to actually, like, do you go out and do it? Do you know that Yeah, yet? we physically do it. Okay. Yeah, we physically. Yeah, we don't charge anything. We just, you know, bring people, take off the old hardware, you know, pieces and bring new. That's so you're going to show up, you're going to do it. And, and this way, everything's going to be, every two Absolutely. years will be upgraded. And so the advantage of that as an operator, if you're listening, <laughs> is that, you know, they're going to continue theoretically to be able to develop for the highest hardware in the market. And so the right. games are going to continue to get better and better and better, where if you don't do that and you have a distributed network of hardware, you're going to have to either make a certain part of your market obsolete and right. say you can't run the software right. to force them to upgrade, right. in which case they might get pissed off and not do it anyway. Right. Right. Remember, um, it's forty-five yes. thousand dollars only. Yeah, and that's the way to beat uh, Fortnite. I see it on you know here yeah. on the laptop, Fortnite. So, well, yeah, that, and I don't think that has anything to do with Fortnite. Right? <laughs> these, play, these guys are. This is a consumer game, and we'll get more into Fortnite and, and everything. So, how's this? How's this event been for you? Now, yeah, we uh, meeting a lot of people, a lot of conversation, very interesting conversations. We're enjoying it so much. And uh, look forward to uh, making you know installations in Chicago. Now you guys have that Golden Mace game that I talked oh, right. to Joe Morris and I a right. few weeks ago talked about, right? right? And so, you know, I think that would make an amazing arcade game. No, don't um, tell him anyway. I'm not going to say not, anything not, about no, it. No, okay, it's just yeah, you it's don't confidential. confidential you don't want to say anything. Well, about you know it's confidential. I don't want to say anything. Yeah, no, 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 anything. no, no, no. We cannot say. No, we cannot say anything. So discussions over. You know, we there's a lot of discussions now. How's that game doing in the mini box? It's performing very well. So you've got four games. So four games now, two shooters and uh, one kid's game. And this, uh, you know, we can say it's a family-friendly yeah. type of content, and, Golden Maze. And so can you say anything about the mix of play? Like what percentage of play the different games? Because, you know, there's a big narrative around no more shooters, no more shooters, and everybody wants to play shooters. Right. Like so, so this is a, the big portion of our games are shooters, but it really depends on the first is an operator and the second is a location. Yep. So what kind of target audience is more kids or it's more adults or where is it the carding center or is it more trampoline park? So it really depends on that. Yes. And that's, you know, you'd see the variety. So uh, the, the, the more competitive uh, landscape like carding center, they would see more shooters yeah. and uh, trampoline parks would see more kids games and slash golden maze game so yeah. it really depends so but the good about it is we have four games on the platform now we started selling the product only when we had four games yeah and uh intentionally and uh so now it covers all you know all target audiences cool awesome uh, yeah bob looking Dude, forward to see for, you later thanks thank for joining you. thank you guys right, bye cool. bye good luck Awesome. So um, I love that Golden Mace game, by the way. I'm a bit fanatic about it. So I think it's going to, I think it's a game changer. Anyway, so back to Fortnite, like this is a phenomenon. And how many of you, like just chime in in the chat, like give me a yes or a no if you've played Fortnite or if you're a Fortnite player. I'm just kind of curious. And if you haven't played it, just download it on your iPad or your, your phone, or your computer or whatever, and, and just give it a go. And, and because if you're not, if you haven't played it, you don't understand what's going on. And you can't play and be competitive, but at least you can start to get it because it's not a game. It's actually a place 
Fortnite is the third place for kids now. You know, for Starbucks talks a lot about the third place. You've got home, you've got work, and then there's the third place. And when I was a kid, I used to go to an arcade. It was around the corner, and I'd hang out there. And the arcade owner was a was a mentor to the kids. Like he was, you know, he was the parent that wasn't a parent, your older brother or whatever. And he was a friend, and and it was a place we all hung out. And now Fortnite is that place for kids. And you know, there's recently I don't know if you guys read the statistic, but yeah, the Comic Hut, absolutely, dude. I remember the comic, the Comic Hut's the candy store, right, with a pinball machine in Long Island in Deer Park. There was a there was like a soda shop, and it had two pinball machines. And I used to go there with my friends, and we'd hang out there all day. And and so kids don't do that now. They hang out on Fortnite and. Uh, Marshmallow did a concert on Fortnite. It's been well documented. 10 million concurrent viewers watched like at once, which is what concurrent means. And so it's it's where they're going and they're gathering and they're chatting and they go after school and whether they're playing or not, it doesn't matter. They're hanging out there and they're on average spending like over an hour and a half per person per day in Fortnite. And so if you're in the location-based entertainment industry, you got to get beyond that. You got to figure out how to compete with in-home entertainment because now it's getting good and it's going to get better. And look at this statistic. So Nielsen says the average adult, those adults spend 11 hours a day consuming media. Now that's all media, including like radio and television and streaming video and apps and browsers and all of that, you know, YouTube and stuff, 11 fucking hours a day. Like, like how does anybody get anything done? Right. And it's going to get worse. So Disney, as you guys probably know, it's just announced Disney Plus, a streaming service. It's going to be $7.99 a month. It's got Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic. And then they're bundling it with their other properties, ESPN Plus and Hulu, for $12.99 a month. So, you know, people are calling this a Netflix killer. It's not. People are going to do both. You're going to do Netflix. You're going to do, you know, Disney Plus, And you spend 25 bucks a month. And it gets good for five or six people. And now all of a sudden, you just got that content. And not just that was announced their price. It's free for a year if you buy a new piece of hardware, which I think, you know, 50 million people a year do. And then it's $4.99 a month, you know, beyond that. And they've done deals with J.J. Abrams, Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, and it's all going to be commercial free and it's all going to be um, original content and it's going to be high quality content. It's family friendly. Like they just killed a show because it was about two guys that they commissioned that were ex-Vietnam vets or something, and they kind of, or, or maybe they were Middle East war vets, but they kind of snap and they go off on a bit of a killing spree. And Apple wanted the story to be more about the bond between the people and the showrunners wanted it to be a little bit darker. And Apple's like, nah, no, thank you. And they just killed the show in the middle of production. So it's going to be family quality viewing, both with Disney and with Apple, and that's going to pull in the family. So there's more and more media coming. And then on top of that, a lot of you may or may not know that Google announced earlier this year a product called Stadia. And Stadia is a streaming gaming service, right? And so what they're doing is they're using the power of their cloud data centers. They're going to be running high quality 4K, AAA PC games. So these are high quality games. And they're going to be streaming them to any device, and it's not just Google. Microsoft also announced a version of this called xCloud Game. And this image shows, you guys will recognize it, Halo on a cell phone. And that's, again, going to be high quality, on demand, and there's going to be dozens of games available on, this, on a subscription basis. 
And then on top of that, you've got NVIDIA is in beta with their version of it. Apple just released Apple Arcade, which is $5 a month for 100 iPhone games that are all going to be really high quality. And Netflix and Amazon are both rumored to be doing streaming gaming services. So whether it's Fortnite or whatever's coming next, this is the future is here now. And this is what's happening. And this is what's competing with location-based entertainment. And this is something that Randy White talks about in his blog, which if you don't follow him and you're in this business, whitehutchinson.com, check it out, follow the blog. He talks about this gap between easy or what he calls convenient and high fidelity. I bristle at the word high fidelity. That to me is an audio term. And oh, by the way, all of this is coming to you via 5G. Right? And so over the next couple of years, 5G is going to be rolled out. It's going to be available everywhere. And just to give you some context, okay, 3G, you could download the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It would take 26 hours. 4G, it takes six minutes. With 5G, it takes three seconds. And so every piece of content you could possibly imagine on demand instantly on every device, everywhere you go in the world, it's happening in the next two years. And so at home, VR encourages VR in general, especially for LB. LB becomes like a bar for drinking. I can drink at home and the beer is good, but I still go to bars. You, go to, you don't go to the bar to drink beer, dude, like Sam. I'm sorry. You go to the bar to socialize with friends. And so the beer is irrelevant. The beer is the golf game. It's the arcade game. It's whatever. The problem with VR is you don't do it in friends with people. Like it's still isolating. And so I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I'm not, you know, I haven't still have not seen somebody do a truly social VR experience where it feels social. Like you can talk about social and we can talk about letting people play together in a shared space. But I think there's a long way to go. And I think that that's a challenge for the industry just to really create those shared experiences in and out of VR. We're out of VR and then we go into VR together and we come out of it together. And, and I think that that's where this thing's going to, and, and it'll happen, but we're still a ways off from that. And so what Randy White talks about and, and what I want to talk about here is this consumer entertainment is really good. It's getting better and it's super easy. Like it used to be downloading a video file was a pain in the ass. It's not anymore. Like it's getting easier and easier and gaming and all of that shit is easy. It's on demand. And I, I've coined my own term. I'm going to call it an egasm. Right? It's like people are at home having egasms. It's easy and it's good and it's fun. And right. And what we need to do is we need to give them awesome to compete with that easy. And the at home stuff has to be awesome. And that means we give them orgasms. And you know, orgasms going to be better than an egasm every time. Right. And so, how do we do that? And so I think that it's going to take the industry, and this is more a message to the amusement industry, the traditional amusement industry, but we have to start thinking about games differently and in the turn of the century i love saying that because it makes me feel really old so in 2000 1999 actually it started with this move from arcade cabinets to pc-based arcade games when i was at global vr and we were the, really the first company to successfully take a pc game and port it to an arcade game and we did it with a bunch of you know first-person shooters using vr in a blue-mounted display, um, and we vision and information and a bunch of you know game publishers to get the source code and modify them for VR, and then we pivoted to arcade cabinets. We did what a deal with EA, and we did Tiger Woods PGA Tour Golf, and it became a golf game. We competed with Golden Tee and had a lot of success with that. 
And in my conversations with the publishers, I realized that the arcade game, the, the consumer game publishers were really interested in the arcade business, but the money, the market wasn't big enough. They were making billions and billions and billions of dollars on the consumer side. And the market for arcade games was too small for them. And, I, and yet it was a multi-billion dollar industry of coin drop. So there weren't a lot of cabinets being sold, which is where the, the, commer- the, the value exchange was between the manufacturers, the developers, and the operators. They sold the cabinet for a few thousand dollars. But each of those games would have build recurring revenue of billions of dollars a year. It was a lot of quarters. And what they really wanted was a piece of the cash box. And I proposed that at a keynote at an AMOA show in 2002. And I was, I was branded a heretic, which I took as a compliment, by the way by my good friend Marcus Webb, who's the editor of Vending Times. And what they did was they rejected that. They just didn't want to give the cash box. They were afraid of the change. Intel and Microsoft were moving into the industry. The arcade was the industry was like, no, we don't want these big companies in here. They're going to upset the Apple cart. And everybody was all freaked out. And anyway, it happened anyway. Now, every arcade game is based on a Wintel architecture, if that's still a thing. And it's running some version of Windows to power it. And this is what we used to have. We used to have these like embedded motherboards that were really custom and they had all these ROMs soldered onto the board. And this was the, basically the guts of an arcade cabinet back in the day. And, you know, and you had all these giant wiring harnesses and heat sinks and all of this custom shit. And now it's all PCs. And so the same thing is happening with VR. That's the end of part one of this interview. Please join us for parts two and three shortly.